Our gospel reading this morning comes from the book of Mark. Let us hear and listen for God's word. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's been a fantastic weekend to be back in Austin, uh, just to simply be in the city again, uh, a city where I uh, served University Presbyterian Church in my very first call, and uh, a city that still has a piece of my heart, and uh, has been a joy to be at Mo Ranch with uh, an extension of this family of faith, and um, to share a lot of time with them there, and word about Farm Church and about what God is doing in the wider church, and it's a real privilege to be with you here this morning. Um, I bring you greetings from Farm Church, a church in new, uh, a new development, developing church in North Carolina in Durham, with the premise uh, to meet on a farm and to be faithful to Jesus Christ by leveraging all of the resources of that farm to address food insecurity in our community. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Farm Church story. It began in many ways with a dream that I had in the summer of 2014 in July. In that dream, I was called to serve a new church, a church uh, that I had never uh, visited before, and apparently in the dream I had said yes. And so it was my first day, and somebody from the congregation was taking me to the church, and when I arrived, there was no building. Instead, it was a farm. I woke up. In light of everything that has happened since, that dream was embarrassingly short. Um, but I woke up. It was 3.17 in the morning. And my first thought was, how ridiculously fun would that be? To worship God in a barn or in a field or in an apple orchard? And then after worship to have your kids go to Sunday school, um, and among other things, to work with chickens, to harvest eggs. And then I thought, and then they could take those eggs to a food pantry on the way home that day with their family, or to another family that was in need. And I'm lying there in bed, and I'm thinking about farm to food pantry, farm to senior living home, farm to prison, Farm to inner city elementary school cafeteria. I start thinking about all the ways you could leverage the resources of a farm to address hunger in a community. So I woke up a little bit more, and I grabbed my iPad, and I Googled farm church to see if anyone was doing it. And all I found, because it was Google, were a bunch of, 
a bunch of churches that met on, in towns where the word farm was part of the name of the town or the road. So then I went to GoDaddy to see if the domain name, farmchurch.org, was available, and it was. At this point, I've been awake for about 25 minutes. I'm at that point in the middle of the night where I still think all of my ideas are good. <laughs> and even though I was aware of that, I got out my credit card and I bought farmchurch.org on the off chance that God was calling me to do something new. The next morning, I told my wife, uh, who half listened until I told her about dropping $80 on a domain name. And then I called uh, one of my best friends who I met in seminary. Alan was an organic farmer on a 300-acre farm in southern Indiana before he came to seminary. And I shared with him everything that I just shared with you, and he said, that's it, I'm in. What happened next was a three-month process of discernment and prayer, a big question about where we would plant farm church, where, if so, how, and when, what are we leaving behind, what are we moving toward. Long story short, the details of which uh, many I have repressed, um, <laughs> in August of 2015, we moved to Durham, North Carolina a foodie city like Austin with severe food insecurity needs. 20% of our county is food insecure. That's roughly 53,000 people in our county alone. That doesn't include Raleigh to start Farm Church. So greetings to you this morning from a church across the country that is gathered right now as we speak on an urban farm tending soil, tending soul, cultivating this idea of a congregation not structured around a building, but rather around a call to grow healthy fruits and vegetables and share them in the community. Part of the road that we've been on this last almost three years since we got started has been a road of daily miracles, and we share them with the sense that we've had as as church planters often, a moment each day that just knocks us over the head because we can hardly believe it's happening. A chance encounter with someone who's suddenly passionate about our mission. Stumbling into a conversation with someone who has a vacant lot in Durham that could become a community garden. Financial support that encourages us to keep moving forward. Or even hearing somebody say, I am not religious. And I am definitely not a church kind of person, but if this is church, I will see you there. Daily miracles. Of course, we've also had some pretty unmiraculous days, days that have been hard, days of getting stuck, days of discouragement, unlike all of our days. So we look to Scripture, and in particular the Gospels, where at times Admit it, it seems like there's a miracle on every single corner. Jesus healing, Jesus raising the dead, Jesus calming a storm, walking on water. And as helpful as those stories can be for us, there are days, weeks, and seasons when the disconnect between life as we pray it could be and life as we know it is so stark that, quite frankly, miracle stories like that are not so helpful. 
I don't know about you, but I've found that in times like that, sometimes it's helpful for me to direct my attention away, slightly away, from the miracles that Jesus did and turn instead to the miracles that Jesus saw. We know about all the miracles that Jesus did. Restoring sight to a blind person, helping the man who was paralyzed, feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish. I wonder if we could wonder for a second about the miracles that Jesus saw. I think he shares a couple of them in our story this morning from Mark's gospel. Someone scatters seeds on the ground, and then for days he sleeps, he rises, he sleeps, he rises, he sleeps, he rises, and all the while these seeds sprout and they grow, and he doesn't know how. And then there's the mustard seeds, this tiny seeds, the smallest of all the seeds. And then when it's sown, it, it grows up and it becomes the greatest of shrubs. <laughs> the greatest of shrubs. <laughs> Not like those other shrubs. The greatest. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, to be sure, Jesus didn't do these things. The wheat field and the mustard seed, Jesus didn't till the soil or plant, or pluck up anything here. But clearly, Jesus looked out at the field, ripe and ready for harvest. And He looked at the tree, the mustard tree, so full of life, and He saw miracles. He saw them. I mean, think about it for a second. It's amazing, isn't it, that here Jesus was with a million miracles at His disposal, and yet, he said to the, kingdom, to the crowd, this is what the kingdom is like. He could have done anything. He could have referred to any number of miraculous things that the crowd saw, and yet when it came time to talk about the kingdom of God, he talked about the miracles that he saw. A farmer's field, a mustard seed. And it is miraculous when you think about it, that a seed becomes a plant or a tree, like a maple seed, you know, a little seed. My girls find a miracle in a maple seed, the way it falls down, twirling from the sky, around and around like a helicopter. But isn't it a miracle that there lies packed within that tiny seed an entire plan, all the schematics you need for an entire maple tree? Roots, a trunk, Bark, sap, leaves, branches, how to grow, change color, drop leaves, produce buds, how to sway with the wind. It is all there in that tiny seed, the whole plan just waiting for soil and warmth. Jesus knew it. Some miracles are like that. We might call them slow-motion miracles. To start with a little helicopter seed and then have maple syrup on your plate. That's a 30- or 40-year slow-motion miracle. We have this mindset that for something to be miraculous, it has to be fast, instantaneous even, instant healing, instant growth, instant change. We tend to discount the slow-motion miracles around us. Todd was 20 years old when he informed his parents that he was gay, and his dad's response was, not in my house, you're not. 
And so began an estrangement that would last for years and years. Todd graduated from college and his dad wasn't there. His first job, his family, his life, dad did not want to know the details. Todd and his mom talked occasionally, sometimes driving to meet for lunch, which was how he found out about his dad's cancer. Stage four, in the bones, terminal. Mom had her hands full, so Todd came to help out, to be with her, to drive her to the hospital. One night outside the hospital, when Mom got in the car, she shared the startling news with Todd. Your dad is sorry, she said. He wants to see you. For Todd, it felt sudden and strange. He was surprised, relieved, angry, resentful, curious, hopeful. For Todd's mom, this was nothing short of a miracle, a slow-motion miracle that had taken the better part of two decades to unfold. But it was a miracle that she could track through emails and phone calls with her son, endless prayers to God, and conversations here and there with her husband. The change from, I want you out, to, I'm sorry. That's a slow-motion miracle. It may be true that some miracles happen so fast that we miss them, but it could also be true that some miracles happen so slowly that we ignore them. The way a house turns into a home, the way a friendship falls in love, the way your child becomes your teacher, the way you find yourself letting go of old fears and insecurities. Just a few short years before his assassination in 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. marched with 25,000 people from Selma to Montgomery for voting rights for African Americans in Alabama. This, remember, was at a time when voting in places like Selma was 99% white and 1% black. So they marched. And at the conclusion, King delivered a speech, often referred to as how long, not long. He was defiant at times, referencing the violence that those in the movement had suffered. No doubt some in the room had been in Selma just 18 days earlier on that bloody Sunday when their peaceful, peaceful protest was met with police wielding clubs on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And we could say that Martin Luther King Jr. was a man of daily miracles, daily moments of grace and challenge, daily movements when he and those around him rose up, spoke truth, and demanded justice. But we could also wonder about the miracles that he saw because he was so fully enmeshed in the daily struggle for equity and justice. He had a vision for, he saw the miracle that was moving this nation forward. He used these words that day in Montgomery, the arc of the moral universe is long, he said, but it bends toward justice. Now, you could listen to the sermon and say, well, it seems like you've got some pretty low standards for miracles, from seeds to trees to apologies and the whole civil rights movement. Why don't you just say that anything can be a miracle? To which I would respond, yes, 
Why don't you? The problem is not that our standards for miracles are too low. It's that they're too high or perhaps too one-dimensional. We're waiting for miracle moments to astound us and take our breath away, and all the while we neglect the miracles that God is nurturing in our midst, the miracles to which God is always bearing witness, always seeing. I think God saw a miracle in Farm Church just a couple of months ago when a young woman named Michelle showed up in a coffee shop with me with this guilty look on her face. Uh, Michelle is someone who's been deeply wounded by the church and vowed never to go back, but here she is at Farm Church. She comes every single Sunday. And she said, I was with some friends just a little bit ago, and I was talking about Farm Church, and I said, Farm Church this and Farm Church that, and then my pastor said, and then all of a sudden I wanted to take all the words back. I, was, I don't talk about church, she said. That's a slow-motion miracle. You know, the great thing that we celebrate at Easter this season in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that that's not a miracle that God did. That's a miracle that God is always doing. God is always overcoming death. God is always saying, I get the last word. God is always saying loss and despair and grief and the valley, they are never the final word. I have the final word. It is love. It is life. It is the slow-motion miracle that I am unfolding day after day. Will you see it, and will you celebrate? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, for this moment that you have called us to, for everything that has fed this moment, and for the way that this moment takes us forward, to be your hands and feet in this world, to live out miracles of grace and hope and life. We give you thanks. Help us follow you to keep up with you in this world that you are constantly redeeming. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.